So there's a new AZA accreditation standard that zoos have to meet, which is they have to assess their animals every year. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome to an episode that could be called Mario for Monkeys of the Rasafari Podcast. Okay, that's a bit of an oversimplification, but uh, I like it, y'all, because today you are going to be hearing from Dr. Lindsay Mahovitz at the Jacksonville Zoo. And Dr. Mahovitz is not only really cool and a lot of fun, but is also teaching some great apes how to play video games. Okay, so it's not monkeys, and it's not Mario. So basically everything I said at the top was a lie. But I really wanted to say Mario for monkeys. I don't know why. It's not even that funny. But hey, it's my podcast and I get to do things like this. But I am so excited to share with you this amazing, amazing story. So yeah, this is an episode all about animal welfare and training and technology and state-of-the-art stuff being done to improve the lives of animals at the Jacksonville Zoo. And of course, because of the research being done there, other facilities as well. This one goes all over the place. You are literally going to hear me interact with something called an apex machine, which is normally played with by gorillas, bonobos, animals like that. Do I do as well as them? Do I maybe even learn a little bit like they do? Hey, I guess we'll find out in the episode, but it's a lot of fun. On top of that, you're going to hear about a ton of individual primates, what make them look different and act different and what their personalities are like. There are some really cool gorillas specifically, and bonobos, and mandrels. Okay, there are a lot of really cool primates at the Jacksonville Zoo, and you are going to get to learn about some of their personalities and their physical and uh, mental quirks. Heck, there's even a deaf gorilla. How do you positively reinforce a deaf gorilla? You'll find out in this episode. Plus, you're going to get to hear a lot about the wellness team at the Jacksonville Zoo. This is a team of multiple, multiple employees and volunteers that are dedicated to improving the wellness and the welfare of the animals at the zoo. And they go through some extraordinary measures to accomplish this goal. So yeah, this episode has it all, including two poop stories. Poop story. Oh, and it also has an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. 
Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. All right, so you know the drill by now. Make sure you're following along at Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. And uh, you can even visit rossafari.com to see a website about a podcast. I never know what to say you're going to see there because it's just a website about my podcast. Anyway, on top of all that, there's also Patreon if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash rossafari. You get things, I get a couple of bucks, life is good. Oh, and also one final note about this podcast episode. So this interview was done live, so overall I'm super happy with the audio, but there were a couple of things that just uh, didn't come across clearly enough, and so Dr. Mahovitz was kind enough to hop on Zoom with me literally months after doing this interview. As a matter of fact, she had enough time to go off and get married in between our initial interview and our catch-up here. So you're going to hear a couple of questions and a couple of things that start to sound like a Zoom interview for just a little bit. Don't worry, they don't sound that bad, and they're really awesome. There's a lot of good content there. But I did want to explain to you why the audio is going to suddenly shift a little bit a couple of times. Uh, Yeah, and that's really all I have to say. So if you're ready to find out if I am smarter than a gorilla, or at least as smart as a gorilla, then let's turn it over to my interview with Dr. Lindsay Mahovitz of the Jacksonville Zoo. All right. So tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. I am Lindsay Mahovitz. I am a postdoctoral fellow here at Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens. All right. Uh, what the heck does that mean, postdoctoral fellow? I assume that that means that you are a doctor, right? Because post means after. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, Dr. Mahovitz, um, what, what, do you, what do you do as a postdoctoral fellow? I am primarily doing research with the primates here at the zoo. So, we have an apex unit, which in simple terms is just a computer touchscreen, that we can provide them with tasks and they get to work on that. I also do behavioral observations um, and all of this is based in wellness and I can speak to that. Oh yeah, and you will. Don't worry, yeah. we'll get to okay. all of this. Very, very much so. Um, but so, okay, so tell me about how you got here. What was your education like? Why, you know, all that good stuff. Tell me your history a little bit. So it was a little bit zigzaggy and... I like to emphasize that, especially for other people who are on a route and they feel like they're not getting where they need to be. So I decided I wanted to work with primates in high school. So I tried to go to college majoring in primatology, but in fact, that major doesn't actually exist (laughs) except for one school in the entire United States. Which one? Um, I think it's Central Washington. This was a long time ago, so I'm not... I don't really remember, Um, but it's in Washington state. So it's really far away and it was the only program. Okay. So before, before you move on from there, why, why primates in high school? Um, Actually, it was rooted in doing a project on a scientist that I had never heard of named Jane Goodall. I, yeah, I think that one sounds a little familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So I already liked primates, you know, monkeys are cute. 
that sort of thing. And then I did a research project on her and it just kind of got me hooked. So that's where I decided I wanted to go. My mother. So I have a, I have a six, by the time this comes out, maybe even seven-year-old son. Uh, his birthday is coming up. His name is Miles. And my mother recently got him some books on famous people and made sure that one of them was Jane Goodall. And watching him read that book was just, ah, made my heart sing. So anyway, very cool. Go ahead and, and yeah, continue with your journey. Yeah. So I couldn't find a school close enough because that was way too far from home, which is New Jersey. So I fell back on my second love, which is astronomy. So I entered school as an astrophysics major and quickly realized that was really not what I wanted to do. And luckily, the, the school that I had chosen had an animal behavior program. So it was fairly easy for me to switch over, especially first year. It was science, math classes, things that are across the board you're going to have to take anyway. So I kind of lucked out there. Also, the school had two colonies, one of capuchin monkeys and one of squirrel monkeys. So that gave me the opportunity, especially in my senior year, to do research with primates. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that even solidified it even more that I wanted to pursue a career doing research with primates. And upon graduation, I applied to numerous graduate programs. Didn't get in you know, not going according to plan. So everybody that was getting back to me said, I need more experience, more experience, more experience. So that's what I did. I spent six months as a field research assistant in St. Kitts, helping somebody on one of their projects with vervet monkeys. And then three months in Costa Rica, working on another project with spider monkeys. And then eventually I landed a one-year research internship at Zoo Atlanta. And that was focused on primates. Nice. I love Zoo Atlanta. They have been a big supporter of the podcast. And also I just love them because they're amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So that job was basically my dream job. Um, But unfortunately, it was only a year long. So it came to an end and I decided to apply to graduate school again. And then I finally got into grad nice. school. Yeah. Nice. So I went to Georgia State University where I got my master's and PhD. And there I worked primarily with chimpanzees on a variety of projects related to behavior and cognition. But during my dissertation, I included bonobos. So I actually landed here in Jacksonville and studied the bonobos here as part of my PhD research, which was pretty neat. That's awesome. And um, what was your dissertation? It was physical and social tool use in uh, PAN. PAN? PAN, yeah. So uh, they share the genus name. So it's PAN paniscus for bonobos and PAN troglodytes for chimpanzees. Ooh, all right, cool. That makes sense. I was confused because I was picturing a PAN. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So that's that's really fascinating. Um, Man, you were just, you were really into it and you were determined to make it happen and then you did. So that's, yeah. that's really awesome. I love that. Very cool. And then uh, tell, tell me from there. From there, I was a little concerned that I wasn't going to have a job, but then I landed a visiting assistant professor position at the University of North Florida, which is right down the road from here. And two years later, there was a postdoc opportunity and here I am. Okay, so explain this to me because I am not 
anything near a doctor. Um, so how do postdoc opportunities present themselves? Where do you find them? Is there some cool place that all you smart nerds hang out where people just talk about this stuff? How, how do you get one of these? Depending on what your field is, it can be easier to find one or harder to find one. In this field, it is very difficult to find a postdoc like this. Um, I know that Zoo Atlanta has postdocs on a rotating basis, and I think, um, I'm not sure how often they advertise. This is actually the first postdoc position for Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens, um, and I'm actually not entirely sure about other zoological institutions that have postdocs, but there's other research institutions that offer postdocs. So my graduate advisor, um, where I got most of the chimpanzee research, he had a number of postdocs, so that would be another opportunity. Um, but they tend to be, at least for my interest, few and far between. Gotcha. And do they just advertise them like like jobs? Yes. So depending on where it is will determine where you find it. Uh, A lot of it also is word of mouth. So the primate community, obviously, this is a primate related postdoc. So they're going to advertise it within the primate community. So we have primate InfoNet, which transitioned and I'm not entirely sure what it's called now, but it's basically a Google group. Um, so basically I was right. It's a whole bunch of nerds hanging out and talking <laughs> and that's how you find this stuff. Wow. All right. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's posted like on the zoo website right, right. and there's other, you know, I think there's a psychology wiki page that they, that they have. You just look everywhere for them. Makes sense. Tell me, well, let's, you know what, let's just, let's just get right to this thing. We have a machine sitting between us that looks like the computer villain from a 1980s movie. Um, it's this big black box, which I know is just the, the case. And then on top of it is a uh, plastic looking see-through thing with a gray casing and it has a touch screen. But I don't know, the whole thing just kind of reminds me of war games and I'm kind of concerned that you're going to launch some nukes from this. But uh, tell me what this machine is. So this is the Apex machine. and We got this from Chris Martin, who is currently at the Indianapolis Zoo, and it is the whole kit and caboodle. So the big box, the primary reason we have this is so that it doesn't get destroyed. So we have gorillas and bonobos here. They are very, very strong. So if we just gave them a flimsy little touchscreen, it would be broken in a matter of seconds. Fair, fair. Um, and within this box, we have the touchscreen. We also have a surface. So the surface is what the person would be uh, using to set up the program. There's also an automatic feeder up at the top inside there. So whenever they get something right, it'll shoot something out for them. There's also a series of lights, which will light up whenever they get something right or when they get something wrong. So two different colors. This is also completely uh, wire-free in terms of the power source. So there is a a battery uh, pack in here that helps juice this all up. Um, And I think those are all the major components of this. So, I mean... What does it do? So we can run a number of programs. So basically when we run... Ape Touch or some other cognitive programs that we have already on the surface, it'll link to the touchscreen. 
and the touchscreen will respond, obviously, whenever somebody touches it. So it's meant to provide enrichment to the animals, also allow us to understand their likes, dislikes, their abilities, such as memory, counting, number judgment, decision-making, those sorts of things. So it can do a lot. Okay, so we're going to talk about how it does some of those things. But first, you have... I mean, are these things that you can just buy in the app store for your Surface? Are these programs that were developed specifically by you guys? Like, what? how, how universal is this? Tell, tell me about this. I'm, I'm intrigued. So the Ape Touch program that we have is designed by Chris Martin in Indianapolis. So he is the designer and the programs that are involved in there. He programmed and did all of the behind-the-scenes work for that. In the future, there will be other programs that I plan on creating myself. So you coming after Chris Martin, huh? No, no. <laughs> um, my programs will be much more basic and just, yeah, not as fancy and probably not as complex as the ones he has. Um, but yeah, so it, the future is that hopefully I would be able to put some of my programs on here. That's really cool. Yeah. Very cool. And uh, when we talk about Chris Martin, we're not talking about the lead singer of Coldplay, right? It's a different guy. Correct. A different okay, guy. Just checking. Just checking. Yeah. All right, cool. So tell me what these what these programs do. Can we how does this work? Um, so we have a number of programs on here. Oh, the logo for Ape Touch is adorable. I just have to point that out. It is a chimpanzee. Uh so we have dot tasks, and that's what I've been primarily using with the gorillas and one of the mandals right now. Eventually we'll be expanding. Um, but this is just to gauge their motivation if they can do it and learn it. So there's a one dot task basically training them that they have to touch the image that's on the screen. Very, very easy. There's two dots, which basically trains them to touch two different images on the screen. Um two number dot. So there's two dots again, but one has a one, one has a two. So they have to touch them in the correct order in order to receive a reward. So all of these are based on positive reinforcement. So if they get it right, they get reinforced both by food, lights, and sound. Okay. Which is important to have multiple because you have individuals that, you know, might not be able to hear like one of our gorillas. Um, There's also two color dots. So it's the basically the same idea as the two number dot it's just based on color instead of symbols and then a three color dot aside from here we have uh, preference tests so once i get enough baseline behavioral data we'll be doing some preference testing to see if it changes behavior and so here we have the ability to offer them choices between two items, three items, four items. And basically, once they choose one, we'll reward them with that item. Um, We can also do this not just with food items, but with social images. So pictures of their conspecifics so that they can determine who they prefer socially, who they want to go with, that sort of thing. Um, And these preference tests are allowing them to make choices. And the idea here is that if they're able to choose what they want, then the behaviors that they'll engage in are more positive behaviors and we are improving their welfare. So just to be clear, what you have here is a touchscreen order for food, just like you would have at a Sheets or Wawa or or anything like that. They, they get to choose whether they want a banana or a, an orange. And, and based on what I'm seeing, those are some of the choices. And then you reward them with it. Yeah. 
Uh, although That's it's probably kind of it's probably a, a little more limited than a Wawa or you know a grocery store. Fair, um, fair. But, but I'm still very impressed by this. This is very cool. Yeah. So in the project that I'm hoping to do, it's not just food, but we're doing enrichment and habitat um, in addition to con specifics. Cool. Yeah. Um, there's also just generic non-testing games on here, such as Match to Sample, Memory Game, and Tic-Tac-Toe. We also have a different unit that goes in the Kapok tree, which you might have seen when you were walking around the zoo. Um, that one has a few other programs that were newly loaded on, like a slideshow where they can see images of other animals or, you know, nature, things like that. That's really cool. Um, and so do they actually use the touchscreen themselves? Yes. They, they'll just come up and, and, like, play with your surface. Not the surface, but the touch Oh, screen. there's a whole other side of this yes. that I can't see. I need yeah. to... Yeah. Hold on. So what yeah. you've been looking at is the human side. Yes. Oh, cool. This makes so much more sense now that I'm seeing the other side of it. <laughs> so the side that you're seeing now is what would be against the mesh. Right, um, right. And so you would be the individual oh, who is working on it. Um Right now, we've been um, testing indoors, working with them indoors, primarily because of the issue with COVID going on and all the protections. So eventually, we'll get back to doing this in the public. And so in the public, it'll be a group setting. So whoever wants to work on it will come up and work. In theory, that would be the most dominant individual. I would say that Rumpel's probably the most dominant gorilla, but he's not interested in working, so it would be somebody else. Um, so I can do a test run here for you. Yes, amazing. Okay, so this would be if you were first learning, it's the one dot. And so you should, I turned it on. That would help. I'm gonna say the screen is dark. <laughs> oh, it says hello. No, it says hello. <laughs> okay, so screen is loading, it says no loading. signal detected. We're doing well. Oh, man. This is all the stuff that I edit out. Don't worry. Or leave in and make people laugh. Either way. This happened. We did a... Oh, I have a dot. Okay. We did an event, and it took me 20 minutes to get the connection to actually work. And I was like, of course. Of course. This works all the time behind the scenes. And then when I have to put it on display, it doesn't. Always. Yeah. So... All right. I'm going to touch the dot. Yeah. Hey! Oh, I got a noise. I got green lights. This is really cool. And you would get a pellet if it was loaded. Um, we have some pellets behind you that I could load it if you want to get the full experience. I mean, I'm seeing some chocolate raisins. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Those won't, those won't <laughs> They should fit. not go in the machine. I'm kidding. That's so cool. Oh, wow. This is so cool. Guys, I'm, 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 I'm being a primate. Well, I mean, I am a primate. And I am, I'm touching dots, and I'm getting lights, and I'm getting sound. And honestly, I feel reinforced. I'm not going to lie. This is really cool. And with this one, we can make it bigger or smaller. So for Rumple and Lash, I have them do it on the bigger dot so there's more area that they can accidentally touch and get it right. Um, I also <laughs> smear dot. stuff on the screen to entice them just nice. so then they interact. Nice. But we can also make the dot smaller. So after this trial. Right. Teeny tiny dot. Yep. It's not much bigger than my finger, honestly. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then if we go back, I can give you the next step. Oh, now we got two dots, y'all. Two dots. Got them both. 
got reinforced. <laughs> Feeling pretty good about myself right now. Not going to lie. Yeah. So for this one, it has no bearing on which one you touch first. So you can touch the left one first. You could touch the right one first. It doesn't matter. She's not lying. I just tried the other way. I had been doing left to right, and then I did right to left. Yeah, she's right. It can, it can handle going pretty fast. This is, yeah. this is exciting stuff. And then the two number dot. All right, so we have a one and a two, so I'm going to hit the one and then the two, mm-hmm. and I got my I got my positive reinforcement, and now I'm going to hit two first because I'm curious. Oh, oh, I got it wrong. I got it wrong, and I, I yeah, all right, cool. Now we get another chance. One, two, hey, we're good again. Yes, this is yeah. awesome. Yep. So the individuals typically come up and they're really excited. If they get tired of it, then they just decide to leave. Makes sense. Um, sense. Which sometimes works out well because the moms will work first. And then when they get tired of it, they leave and it lets the kids have a shot at playing the game. Very cool. That's so cool. This machine is awesome. Um, But if you wanted, I don't know the right order for this one. If you want to try the three color dot. Okay. So we have a blue, a yellow, and a red. Blue is my favorite, so I'm going to hit that one first of these three. I was wrong. I was very wrong. All right. So now by process of elimination, we'll go with yellow next. Yellow is also wrong. All right. So red is first, everybody. All right. Blue or yellow, what do we think? I'm going blue. Hey, and then we hit yellow, and we're right. Look at that. That's amazing. All right. And then I know to do the same sequence again. See, I learned. Yeah. I just Yes, you learned. did. See, this is amazing. If you want to get technical, you made new connections in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> Dork. <laughs> I was in a neuroscience lab in grad school, so. Fair, fair, fair. That's really cool. And so um, tell me about why this matters for the subjects. This matters because it will hopefully improve their wellness. So what does that mean? It means that we improve certain components of their daily lives. So it on its own functions as a form of enrichment because it is mentally stimulating. It's something new that they don't get all of the time. There's different tasks that we'll be presenting to them. So it's different basically all of the time. But also what we're doing with this is we're creating research questions based on wellness outcomes of interest. So things that the area is concerned about or wants to see in their animals. So one example would be for gorillas. An important thing is to increase their activity budget in a positive direction. So there's a lot of resting, which generally gorillas tend to rest a lot, but they also spend a lot of their days foraging And so we would want to promote those types of behaviors, foraging, exploring, those sorts of things. And so with the choice paradigm, eventually what we want to do is provide them the choices and then give them those food options, enrichment options, habitat options later in the day. And so the idea is that if they're given something that they had chosen to get, that they would spend more time engaging in foraging if it's food, interacting with the enrichment device if it was enrichment, exploring the habitat if they chose the habitat. And kind of in conjunction with that, if they're spending time doing those positive behaviors, they're going to spend less time 
you know, engaging in negative social interactions. They're going to spend less time engaging in stereotypic behaviors or other undesirable behaviors. So that is a huge focus, um, especially for the gorillas. For our mandrels and bonobos, there's some social tensions in the groups. And so a lot of the projects that we're kind of aiming to do will get at improving positive social interactions. So with the choice paradigm, we can present them with conspecifics. So choosing who they want to spend the day with, and that might help mitigate some of that social conflict. So if they choose who they want to go with, then in theory, hopefully, they would have more positive social interactions and less aggression or other negative behaviors. Um, for the mandrels, that's the case, but also there's previous research that just shows giving them 10 minutes on a computer touchscreen improves positive uh, social interactions. So that's part of, part of our intentions as well. Then on the larger scheme is comparing and understanding the abilities of the animals. So if you don't understand you know, the preferences of your animals, the abilities of your animals, then you can't really provide optimal care to them. So the better that we know the animals, the better we can care for them. And then that ties into conservation because we can promote the message of, you know, these are what these animals are capable of and, you know, gets the public involved and they can do certain actions to help with conservation activity. Awesome. I love it. That's really cool. Um, I'm curious about one of the things you're talking about with this choice. I, sure. I get, I get it mostly, but when you say habitat, um, do you do you guys have multiple habitats here that they're they can go? Do you mean indoor and outdoor? Like it's a zoo. You can't just like set them out on the beach and see what happens, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. So in in gorillas. We have the main exhibit, which if you visit Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens, you'll see. Then we have two off-exhibit yards, and then we also have indoor holding. The main thing that I'm targeting is the actual habitat part, so the yard, the outdoor yard space. And so the idea here is having them choose which of those yards. Bonobos also have multiple yards, um, and then once COVID is better, we can hopefully incorporate the trail system that leads to the tree. So that would be another option. Um, but for right now, it'll just be the habitats until things get a little bit more clear. Gotcha. And front. the idea is that they can recognize them and choose and then, yeah. Yeah. So the images that we would use would be an image that they would see daily when they enter the yard. Right, so right. it would hopefully be an association. Cool. Um, the idea with this is starting with the food preference first or the food choice first so that they make that association because the habitat choice is probably going to be one of the more difficult associations to make. So if we can establish the association with the food, continue it with the enrichment, hopefully it'll extend to the habitat just because logistically, if an animal chooses a habitat, you're not going to be able to actually put them in the habitat until about 30 minutes later. If every by cleaning it up, servicing right, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and putting out their food and making sure everything's secure. So no, that makes a lot of sense. That's really interesting, though. Wow, very cool. Um, yeah. So, is there anything else that you want to tell me about Apex? Uh, well, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned it briefly. We have a similar type of setup in the Kapok tree. So the Kapok tree is this huge tree in the middle of the African forest, and there's a little window on it, and there is a touchscreen in there. 
Um, and it is loaded with basically all of these same programs, a few extras. And again, when I get my programs, they'll hopefully be on there. <laughs> and so the purpose of that is to be able to work with them while they're on exhibit as well. Um, we also have a space for this apex in the gorilla viewing cave area. Right now it's not being utilized because of COVID. Same thing with the KPOC tree, not being utilized because of COVID. Um, but we have two systems and then I'm hoping to develop more so that way we can have multiple animals working at the same time to limit some of the competition that might exist. Very cool. This is uh, this is a heck of a plan. How long is a research fellowship for? It depends, uh, but usually between two and three years. So I'm coming up on the end of my first year. Okay. So I still have a bit of time here. And uh, hopefully with things progressing the way they have been with COVID and and that path, we can make a little bit more speedy progress in the coming months. Right. No, that makes sense. That's that's awesome. Um and so when you're a when when you're here and um you could be more more general, but when you're when you're a person doing a postdoc uh fellowship, um is, is it like a fully paid position? Like are you able to make a like this is your this is your career, right? Like this is a living wage type thing? Yes. So it is definitely a basically a career on its own, but temporary, obviously. Although I do still adjunct at UNF to keep my foot in that door. Very smart. Do you want to keep teaching or, or research or both or what? Ideally both. Um, but this field is a very tough field, so we'll see where it goes. Fair, fair. Yeah. All right. So um, this has been super nerdy and awesome so far, and I'm really excited. But uh, my fans are going to revolt if we don't talk more about animals and give them some adorableness. So um, why don't you take me through some of the primates that you work with here? Uh, tell, tell me some of your stars. You mentioned a deaf gorilla. And uh, yeah, let, let's talk. Yeah. So Kombuka is a female adult gorilla that we have in our large group, which is, I think, the largest group that Jacksonville has had. And it's also multi-male in terms of having two silverbacks, which is very unique especially when there are females involved. Um, she is deaf, and even though she's deaf, she can work on the Apex computer. That's why I said it's important to have multiple sources of reinforcement. So she, obviously the food will be rewarding, but then she also sees the light. She's not necessarily going to hear that chime, but the light and the food will indicate that she made the right choice. Um, and she likes working on this, so it's at least effective. <laughs> Um, we also have a new baby gorilla that was born in the beginning of May, and um, he is growing very, very fast. His mom also loves working on the apex, and she does a really good job on even on the the number one. Um, most of the gorillas tend to hover right now around fifty percent, but she's starting to to get up there and get above chance. Nice, yeah. We also have Gandhi, who would be the youngest aside from the new baby. And she really likes working on this. And typically, young gorillas have a little bit of a hard time separating from mom early on just because they get nervous and stuff. But she's been shifting her on her own to be alone to work on this. I mean, she has visual access to everybody. And, you know, if she 
gave us the indication she wanted to go back, we would put her back immediately. But she willingly wants to come and work on it, which is pretty exciting because she's only, I think she's going on three this year. So, so far what I'm hearing from you is that your scientific research has shown that kids like screen time. Yes. Well done. I could have told you that. <laughs> Saved a lot of money, a lot of... <laughs> no, that is really, all joking aside, that is really cool though. Like that's, that's you know, that's really neat. Yeah. So most of the girls like to work on it. Um, the, um, the exceptions are Lash and Rumple, which are the two silverbacks of the big group. Um, I might be giving up on Rumple, um, but Lash seems to at least be engaging when I smear stuff on the screen. <laughs> so Lash is our oldest gorilla, and he's he turned 44 last December. So he's he's an old band. So I'm having a little bit more patience with him and slowly going through just because he's an old man. Um, I think he likes the interaction, but he hasn't necessarily caught on to what he actually needs to do yet. Um, we also have a smaller group of gorillas, a group of three, Jim, Tinga, and Whimsy. And sometimes you'll see them on exhibit when we do rotations. And all three of them like to use the computer. Jim is a little iffy, so he gets bored real quick. So for the one dot, you know, after 20 trials, he was basically done with it because it was too easy. Right, right. And then once we got to the two dot, he worked for maybe like 20 trials and then he was done with it. Um, but the the number one, since it's a little bit more challenging, he's engaged a little bit longer. Um, but all three of them like to work on it. And I haven't worked with all of the mandrels just yet, just based on the research question that I have, which is interaction with the computer touchscreen will affect their social interactions. So I've just been giving it to Deanna, which is our oldest uh, female adult mandrel, primarily because she's older. We give her the opportunity to stay inside if she chooses to stay inside. So it gives her something extra to do. And she really loves it. And you can tell she loves it because when you try to end the session or take it away, she will get very mad. Oh, no. So I've learned to just let her work and then she decides when she's done with it. Um, but she so far has been probably the best at the number dot task um, with her performance, but she has worked on it the most. So you can take that how you please. Fair, fair. All right. Um, and then, so gorillas, mandrel, how about uh, some bonobos? Yeah, so the bonobos have worked on the computer touchscreen, but before I got here, okay. um, Django, one of the juvenile males or sub-adult males in the data, looks like he really enjoys it. He has a lot of sessions and did really well on it. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to test them again because of COVID. So we had to keep things separate, and um, I was put in the gorilla world um, when I came on last August. And so the apex lives in the gorilla world right now. Hopefully once I get more units and even when things get a little bit better, I can go between the two areas, but we're still, you know, taking things with caution. Y'all, this is um, adorable, right? This is, this is why I love talking to people who are so passionate about one specific thing. I asked for information about animals, and she immediately went right back to Apex and how the <laughs> bonobos haven't used Apex, and these are what their stats look like when they did use Apex. Hey, Goober, tell me about your bonobos. Okay. 
Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. We have 13 bonobos. We have Laurel, who is the oldest, um, and you can easily recognize her because she is the most bald. Um, and she kind of looks a little frail, although she is in really good condition. Um, she likes to huddle and hunch and stuff, but she is she's a fun bonobo. Then we have lots of kids. Um, so Cooney is the mother of Budir. And we have Joti is the mother of Luke. So Cooney also has an interesting haircut and Budir has an interesting <laughs> haircut. So of all the kids running around, Budir definitely looks the weirdest because he's got patches everywhere. Um, Cooney also doesn't have very much hair like Laurel, but she has more than Laurel and doesn't look quite as frail. Um, we have Joti who is full of hair and her son Luke or Lukuru as well. Um, and they have a signature, I guess, uh, sideburn tufts, I guess you would call. So nice. the way I tell them apart is that they're the hair on their sideburns shoot out. Not that you guys can see me, but I'm just I'm she's, just she's using her hands to show. Yeah. Also, I think out. some of the hair on my sideburn is poofing out right now too. <laughs> There's a lot of humidity down in Florida. I brought too much hair on my my whole face and head to to this particular place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is pretty hot today, especially with the storms rolling in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we also have Lainey and Jenga. They are the older of the kids, so they're probably sub-adult age now um, and getting towards the reproductive age, so almost adults. And then we also have Kibibi, who's kind of in the middle of the sub-adult juvenile stage. Um, Kibibi came in not too long ago with Kimia and Zeke. Um, so those are our three newest bonobos. And then before them, we got Makanza. Um, who is an adult male. And interesting fact, when I was doing my dissertation work, I was also at Milwaukee County Zoo and I worked with Mac there. Nice. And when it came time to do my dissertation here, he was here, um, which unfortunate for him, he had already participated in the study. So everybody else was getting to, oh, no. <laughs> to participate. But then my advisor had a different project. So we, he got to participate in something else. Um, and then we also have... Did he recognize you when you showed up? Um, I'm not sure. Hmm. Okay. Potentially, but I I didn't work with him. And then we have Mabruki, who is uh, Laurel's son. And we also have Jumanji. Jumanji, I would probably say, is the prettiest male of all of the males that we have here. Um but that doesn't help you guys if you're visiting. <laughs> yeah. So they do fission fusion with that selection of bonobos very often. So any day you come to the zoo, it will likely be a different group. Unless you come two days in a row, then it might be the same. But generally, you come like once a month or even every couple of weeks, it'll be a different group, which is natural. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Very cool. So I know from talking to Lucas Mears that... Um, you know, everyone had to get involved in the keeping aspect for a while during COVID. So so you became a zookeeper, right? Yes. Tell me about that. What were you keeping for? And were you still with your primates? Yeah. So right, what was that like? That was part of the reason why the research aspect was a little slow. So 
I was thrown into the gorilla world, like I said. So I was thrown into the gorilla building routine, which includes 12 gorillas. And the newest one that we have was born in April. And his name is Kevin. Kevin. Uh, That's a good name. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah. Um, we have other animals, too. I don't know if you want me to go into. Yeah, animals, animals are awesome. Talk about all the animals. Yeah. So we have 13 bonobos. 12 colobus, uh, we have two different species, and we have lots of babies bing-bonging around right now. Eight mandrels, two siamangs, and six different species of lemur. So that's like the primate side of where I've been working. The non-primate side includes manatees, bears, coyotes, turkeys, tortoises, uh, sandhill crane. So a, a big mix, but definitely more primates. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I, I tried to get a really cool picture of your sandhill crane. And your sandhill crane attacked my camera and said no. So <laughs> I, I'm not too surprised. Um, but that's that's awesome. It must be fun to have such a, a cool diversity of species to be working with. Yeah, definitely. Um, and from what I've heard from keepers, I haven't worked with the crane ever yet, at least. Um, but he definitely has a personality. <laughs> <laughs> too bad you'll never get to... Um, to have your crane use your little, you know, your little system there and try and try and peck the correct answer. You never know. We might get there at some point. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So I was thrown into that routine train. So I basically was trained to be a keeper. So I learned how to shift, feed, clean, all of the things. How'd it go for you? Good. I actually think it worked in my benefit for the postdoc because normally you don't get this opportunity and you have to rely on keepers to do any moving if you need moving for your experiments or whatever you're doing. So I am certified, trained, not certified. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I am approved to shift uh, mandrels and select gorillas on my own. So that helps the keepers because then I'm not calling on them to Right. To use precious time within their day because I've learned that keeper time is very precious. They don't have very much time during the day to do much of anything. And so the less I can be in their hair, the better. Talk to me about what um, what your relationship has to be like with the keepers as you're here doing research. Like, do you guys have a lot of communication? Do you have to figure out you know, when you're going to be doing your stuff based around their feeding schedules and stuff like that. How do you coordinate all of that? Right now, it's just very lax, I would say, um, because, again, I'm doing more observations than apex testing just to get the baseline data. So for that, I just have to make sure that if I'm not doing the keeper routine that day, I just shoot them a text, whoever's working to just let me know once the animals that I need to watch that morning are out on exhibit. Um, same thing with mandrels. They can be a little difficult to shift outside sometimes. So uh, usually they'll just give me a heads up once everybody has gone out or if Deanna is inside and everybody else is outside because that would be okay too. Cool. And then so um, when I was on the Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens website, um, I was uh, I was intrigued by this notion of the wellness team. 
in general. That's not something you hear about a lot. So talk to me a little bit more about that because that, that's what all of this is, right? And it's like a full team and tell me things. So there's a new AZA accreditation standard that zoos have to meet, which is they have to assess their animals every year. The assessment process involves keepers filling out a survey about the well-being of their animals. It also includes their habitat information, things like is the inputs to their daily life appropriate? So do they have enough climbing structures? Are they given enough enrichment? That sort of thing as well, not just like their physical well-being. Um, and so based on those surveys, they can produce reports and get scores of their behavior and other wellness scoring to determine whether or not certain animals might have concerns. And based on those concerns, we'll meet with the the area who oversees that particular individual or group of animals and provide action items. So some of our research projects outside of what I'm doing have been directly linked to those meetings. Um, One is we have an extensive bear enrichment project And that was brought up because our bears tend to do a lot of pacing. We don't know whether it might be just anticipatory behavior or, you know, a negative stressor behavior of pacing when certain things are happening. So we have this extensive enrichment project going on to determine, you know, what sorts of things are stimulating the bears and keeping them doing more positive non-pacing behaviors um, throughout the day. And there are some other projects that we have that are in development based on conversations we've been having with keepers. So the wellness team kind of has gone through a major transition over the past few months, um, but it was created by Dr. Terry Maple, who is the reason why we have a wellness team here at the zoo. Um, Though we've had a lot of changes, it's been very exciting. So in addition to myself, I have fully transitioned into my postdoc role is before I was split. Um, We have a new full-time person who joined us as the applied animal wellness and research officer. And then we just got a new part-time person who will help us with a lot of our projects. We also rely heavily on volunteers and interns. So it takes a lot of effort to do what we do and we couldn't do it with other people, but we um, also have connections with the University of North Florida and there's a professor in residence who we coordinate and do research with as well. So there's lots of exciting things that are going to be happening. That's really awesome. Uh, tell me more about the um, the comparative psychologist and the impact that that has on the work y'all are doing. So his, he is Dr. Greg Cohn, and he's bringing more of a tech spin to some of our projects. Um, so his main research is in bird social organization, uh, the development and how it changes over time and with different members and that sort of thing. Um, so he's bringing more of the social aspect into some of our research, but also the technology that comes with it. Um, so, for example, we have giant otters. And we have lots of footage on them. So he's implementing machine learning to basically map little skeletons so we can track their behaviors um, to help give us some insight into why they do certain things, why they're not, that sort of stuff. Um, We're also using thermal imaging. So he has a thermal camera where we can record the heat patterns of various animals. So this is basically a 
zoo-wide project. Um, so we're trying to basically create a thermal reading of individuals and species just in general to have an idea of what they look like, but also look at real-time indicators of stress. So in theory, when you get stressed, your body goes into the fight-or-flight response. Heat's going to your vital organs and to areas that need all of that support. And other areas of your body are going to cool down because they don't need the energy and divert it elsewhere. Um, we're also using it with two of our geriatric animals to see if certain treatments are helping because the idea is with arthritis, there's inflammation. And with inflammation, there tends to be warmth or heat. So the idea is if the treatments are working, those areas are cooling. So we're hoping we might be able to see if there's there's change with their treatment. Um, so it's it's a big, big project that's that's zoo-wide um, with the stress just getting general heat patterns. And this technology is fairly new. I mean, it's been done with a bunch of other animals, and they've shown um, that it correlates with other stress responses. So it's been corroborated with fecal samples, other physiological responses, showing that it does kind of match on to other stress responses. So it's really exciting um, to be able to collaborate and, you know, do new and exciting things. Very cool. That's no, I mean, I love that. Like animal welfare is clearly hugely essential to being a good zoo. And uh, the idea of having a team devoted to that and doing some research on it and stuff is, is pretty awesome. Pretty cool. It's becoming more commonplace at zoological institutions, although it's still a little bit few and far between. Um, but it's it's getting there, especially now that the AZA is requiring an, a wellness or a right, welfare right. assessment in order to maintain your accreditation status. So I think it's heading in the direction of more and more zoos will have a team. Yeah, very cool. I love that. So uh, is there anything else that you want to say about any of this? Oh, that's a big question. I don't know. I really enjoy the time I'm having here. And Good. I mean, I'm doing what I like. I watching interacting with primates and that's you know from the start it was a little bit bumpy getting here but i landed here and we'll see what the future brings love that and then um i like to open the floor sure. and uh are there any conservation organizations that you'd like to give a shout out to yeah so if we want to go local i would say um there's a new one lights out northeast florida which is a collaboration between the Jacksonville Zoo and the Duval and St. John's County Audubon Societies. I actually volunteered with them during this past spring migration. Um, and the point of that basically is to get information about window strikes in downtown Jacksonville, get the information to see, you know, how often does it occur and how we can prevent this reaching out to local, local companies, businesses, that sort of thing. Um, and then here at the zoo, our Manatee Critical Care Center um, is really important. Um, and I don't know if you've heard, but uh, the manatees are going and are experiencing an unusual mortality event, uh, likely linked to decrease in food availability. So um, for local access, those are two that I would give a shout out to. Non-local, I kind of have to go with my, my ape. 
organizations. Of course. So Lola, Lola Yabin, Bonobo. Um, and then there's also the Gorilla Rehabilitation and Conservation Education, or otherwise known as GRACE. Um, but if you pull my leg and go non-primate, um, I would say maybe the Okapi Conservation Project, which I'm sure you've heard about in a previous interview. May have come up, may have come up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Lucas was such a great interview, and I was so bummed when I was in Jacksonville to meet with you. I also wanted to hang out with him, but he was out of town, and I am sad. Oh, that's Yeah, but I'm sure I'll tour through eventually again. So, yeah, he's a good dude, and that's an amazing organization. And the Grade 8 Part Project is really important. It's not a conservation effort, but it's... Tell me what it is. It's um, learning about the cardiovascular issues in apes. So cardiovascular disease is a a high mortality um, risk in captive house primates. And so the Grade 8 Part Project has hands in multiple institutions to have um, keepers trained. And also they send staff to do blood pressure readings, echocardiograms, and that sort of thing to kind of track and learn and better understand the the whole cardiovascular disease process in apes um, to see like, you know, whether they can mitigate it, what we can do to help it. That sort of thing. That's actually really interesting. And um, I, I would argue with you that it is a conservation effort, though maybe not directly. Yeah. But um, I was just doing some reading recently about how even a lot of the uh, the protected primates, uh, gorillas in particular, um, are starting to deal with diseases that they didn't expect and stuff because of human populations being so close mm-hmm. to their areas now. And so, you know, even if it's mostly captive gorillas that are facing that right now, down the road, it may start to be something we see in these these reserves. And yeah, I think that's really cool. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rossifari poop story. Hit me. Well, I guess I have two from when I worked with chimpanzees in graduate school. And it's directly poop related. Woo. So not just, you know, this is the crappy part. I mean, obviously picking up after animals is kind of crappy, but, you know. So chimpanzees have interesting personalities. <laughs> and some of them would be considered throwers and others would not. Um, there was one individual who was sometimes a thrower Generally, he threw at you when you weren't really paying attention to him. So we were doing a study where he was with a social partner in in the enclosure, and I was doing an imitation study with the other individual, so completely ignoring the other individual. And I was hearing what he was doing so chimpanzees like to display and put on a big show so he's banging he's puffing up all of these things and i have to keep concentrating on doing the imitation routine with the other individual and i see it coming there's this big thing coming my way and i know immediately what it is and it hits me directly in the face although we wear complete ppe so i had a face shield there but it it hurt. 
That's how hard he threw it. And I had to just ignore it and keep going. (laughs) And meanwhile, it was a two-person project because somebody had to to video record. And I can hear my lab mate snickering, laughing at me (laughs) because I couldn't do anything about it. Then there was another story where you think a face shield would protect your face. Kind of the point. Yeah. So I was getting ready to leave for Texas for my master's. Uh, They also have a population of chimpanzees there. So I was increasing my N, if you know what that means. I don't. I'm a drummer. Have we heard that? (laughs) Basically getting more animals for my study. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like the the variable. The sample size. Yeah, yeah, the sample size. Yeah, yeah, I actually do know what that means. (laughs) I just, I had never heard it used that increasing my N sounds so cool but nerdy. I don't know. Anyway, so yes. Okay, fair, fair. Yeah. So I was was, uh, saying goodbye to some of the chimps and- there was one chimp and he was very playful and I was playing with him. And then as I was leaving, I'm not sure what happened. Maybe he knew I was leaving. I don't know. But he also was occasionally a thrower and I was walking by and I saw that he was getting ready to throw. So I braced myself for it. I put my head tilted slightly down so that he wouldn't like underhand up into my neck. (laughs) Somehow he did. It got in up under the face shield, like inside of the face shield. And I'm not sure how it happened. But yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yay poop. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, there's there was lots of poop in my graduate career. <laughs> uh well thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Man, I could listen to the wellness team stories and innovations and all that stuff all day. That's the kind of stuff that anti-captivity people just don't understand that we're doing. It's it's one thing to say that they have nice lives. It's another thing to explain that there's this entire dedicated team and a whole bunch of research being done and and literally computers with programs being built just to make sure that the animals at the zoo are doing okay. This kind of stuff just blows my mind every time I experience it. And I'm so grateful to be able to share it with all of you. So definitely make sure that you head to Instagram or Facebook and check out at Ross Safari. I will be putting up a post the day that this gets released with some pictures of the Apex machine and how it works and all that good stuff. You're definitely going to want to look at those. And uh, also don't forget that you can follow along by going to jacksonvillezoo.org or at jacksonvillezoo. Actually, the zoo just announced that they're going to get this whole new exhibit up front, and when people show up, they're going to see manatee springs with awesome, amazing manatees that will inspire them to learn about the conservation of this animal, which is in trouble and lives in Florida. I cannot wait to see the new exhibit. If you check out their Instagram or Facebook, you will see artists' renderings of it, and it looks beautiful. And now I just need to ask the Apex Machine. Is the word credits backwards Dirkster? Oh, but is it Stydirk? The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. 
Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.